And welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am your super duper deluxe host for today. My name's Todd Conklin, and I'm super glad you're here. This one's fun. It's uh, this one was just I think you're gonna like it. Actually, this one there's a long story behind this podcast. We don't have a long story time, so I'll have to tell you the short version of the long story. But suffice it to say, I was speaking at a meeting, and this guy gets up, looks fine, everything looks great, meeting's good, chairs comfortable. Plenty of donuts, you know, the things I judge the quality of a meeting on. And he starts to show his PowerPoint slides, and they're Legos. And they're Lego people, little Lego ambulance drivers and little Lego firemen and little Lego fire trucks and emergency vehicles and crisis managers. And I'm just enwrapped. I mean, just completely focused on these cool Photos and, and and you can find these on the web. In fact, I'll I'll give you some information um, either in the notes for this podcast or at the end of the podcast, so you can go out and look at them. But they're the most clever photographs. They're black and white, and he uses them as the background of his PowerPoint. And he's he's clearly taken them. Well, I mean, it, it's not clear. They're incredibly professionally done. Maybe he hired a guy to come and take them, but he's taken them from kind of a low angle. And they're just amazing. I mean, they're just, it's, they're just amazing. And then he started talking. And he blew me away because he had so much to say about complexity and safety and reliability and operations. And he was coming at it from the vantage point, from the eyes of a crisis manager. And he built this theme that ran through his presentation around classical music and conductors. So right now, you must be in your car or jogging or walking or wherever you listen to podcasts, and I'm sure it's a cool place. Some of you probably don't have pants on, just saying that, right? And you're thinking, hmm, well, it was like that. I mean, it was it, you just couldn't not, not watch it. And the fact that he was using classical music and Legos is already kind of a crazy juxtaposition. But what was so cool about it is what he talked about really fit the world in which we live. And that is kind of the background of today's podcast. Now, the guy's name is Bert Brueggemann's. I think I said that right. I'm pretty sure that's right. I practiced it a bunch of times. And Bert is the um, Director of Operations at Antwerp Fire and Safety Region in Belgium. So if you've flown into to Brussels, or if you've flown into Amsterdam, or if you've been in that part of the world, Antwerp is a really pretty famous kind of uh, industrial I mean it's in Belgium so it's beautiful but it's a lot of things go on there and it's been historically a very important port and it's been very important for industry and it's a really special place for people who think about things like workplace safety safety culture reliability high reliability all the stuff we think about because so many things coexist in the same place and it's um it's quite remarkable because Bert got involved with the university there, and we'll talk more about this because there's so much more there. Um, and he started uh, really digging into some of our side of the house information as it relates to crisis response, to capacity to manage a crisis. 
And you're going to hear him talk about it. In fact, I, I try to push him pretty hard to talk about it. And he told me that all his stuff is open and available, and he welcomes the opportunity to talk to any of us. He's got a book out. Uh, unfortunately, it's not in English. So unless you're really good at multilingual book reading, uh, it may not be the best thing in the world for us. But he talks about that book a lot, and that's pretty cool. Other than that, this podcast is going to be fun. Life is grand for me. I'm just getting ready to head out on a big trip, so I'm packing everything. And you know how that is, last-minute junk and putting everything in the suitcase. And you think, I don't really need this much. I won't wear this much, but I'll take it. And uh, you know how all that goes. And, you know, we're just kind of rocketing into into winter. It's just happening. That's the fall is falling and winter is coming. And, you know, we get to do it all again. And it's going to be fun. I promise you that much. I promise you that much. Without much further ado... Let's just head right into this podcast. I think it's worth getting to. I can't even wait for you to hear how the podcast began. The beginning of this podcast is maybe the best opening to a podcast ever known to mankind, and you'll see why almost immediately. So without any further ado, sit back and relax. You're going to have about, a, I don't know, 27 minutes of Bert Bergerman's discussion on uh, crisis, reliability, and um, the ability to coordinate by conducting an orchestra full of capacity. So here we go. Here's Bert. Yeah. You know, I, I have no problem calling right now, but I must, I, I have to say, I'm in a, I'm actually following up on, on a small crisis. Um, there's this uh, bomb threat in one of our main museums in Antwerp. And uh, we're still deciding whether we're going to evacuate or not. So um, just telling you this before we start the podcast. So um <laughs> If I break up the line, you know why it is. <clears throat> uh, you know, you have complete permission to uh, break Thank up you. the line if you need to. Thank you very much. I would never, so that, I would never stand in the way of that problem. Uh, of course, I understand. But that, that's the reason why I was a bit uh, reluctant to uh, to call now. But um, you know, if we don't find another moment this weekend, we better call now. And if it's uh, if, if if Antwerp stays safe, then we have a, a podcast. And if Ant- if the museum explodes, then we don't have a podcast. So that's, that's really <laughs> I, the deal. I'm not really laughing about that. I'm just laughing at your life is so different than mine. Because <laughs> mine is uh, if uh, Santa Fe stays safe, I will cook a steak on the barbecue. If not, <laughs> I don't know what I'll do. So okay. how have you been since I last saw you? I read about you all the time. You're quite famous. I, I, no, not really. Um, but but yeah, we published a book together with uh, two colleagues um, about crisis management. Too bad it's not in uh, English; it, it's in Dutch. But we're now f- trying to find some funds to uh, translate to English. Yeah, I think the translation would be brilliant. And, and uh, I, you would you're going to take North America by storm. <laughs> no, I don't know. Actually, it, it is one of the few books about the process of crisis management, and it's it's. Um, Different than most of the books. Most of the books are about, are about or most of the, the the things people write are about how to structure and how to organize and not about how to do it. Right. And I think the reason is that not a lot of people know how to do it. And we are not saying that we know it, but we try to put some things on paper about what we know and about what, what is already written and, and so on and bring some things together and some experiences together. And that's actually what we did. And, and we we think that people like it. So it's much more of a kind of an applied book about crisis management. It, it talks, yeah. it speaks more to really the hows, right? Not the theoretic. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's theory behind it, and we also oh, refer to theory, but actually, it's 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 about how to do it. Yeah. So it's a, it's this this notion of, of it's like the field guide for crisis management. Yeah, it's it's in the direction of a field guide. It's not yet a field guide. I I think we need a field guide. Uh, on the other hand, a field guide is maybe a, a bit too op- operational, and we really need to, the the process. We really wanted to describe the process and not not. Um, um, tell crisis managers how to do it in, in, in too much detail, but tell them, okay, you have to take care of this and this and this. And if you look at it, you can look at or you can look at the book in two directions. On the one hand, you can say, okay, it's, it's maybe prescri- prescriptive model where you say um, do this and do this and do this. Or on the other hand, maybe it's also a model that describes what happens or what what you what you see after a crisis went well, what what people did. Wow. When it went went well, that that's maybe more the book. Um, so it's yeah, it's a, it's a fun book. I, I I like it, and it's strange as an author that you say afterwards that you like the book. It's it has been a very difficult process to write it. Yeah, yeah, I understand. It's a difficult topic, and and together with the time constraints we have. But on the other hand, I I think we need translation, and also need uh, the the. Um, People reading it and 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 telling us how they they whether they like it and what they think about it and let's start a discussion and and, and, uh, and a conversation about the book. So would you translate it yourself? You could, right? Um, I mean, you have the ability. No, no, no. I think we need a native speaker, and, and, and we're now looking at the European Commission and trying to get some funds to, uh, or maybe one of their translators. They have plenty. They have. They're all about translation. So. If we can find somebody in the European Commission that says, okay, I want this book and I want it to be translated by one of our translators, then we have the translation. So it can be that easy in Europe. You just have to find a way in. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, so tell me, kind of introduce yourself. Tell me your, your history and, and what you do and how you got to where you are now and then talk about where you are now. Okay. Please. So um, – my my background is um, I'm a firefighter. I actually always have been a firefighter. I grew up in the fire station. My my uh, dad he was also uh, a chief and uh, the chief of a, of a local fire service. So I, when I was eighteen, I became a firefighter. But uh, I knew from the first moment that staying a firefighter, a basic firefighter, was not my ambition. So I also went to university, got a master's degree, and got a chance to start in uh, in Antwerp as a uh, fire officer. Uh, and uh, since 2007, I, I started in Antwerp. And then I focused mainly on crisis management and how to be a good crisis leader. And that's what I've been doing, or that has been my job until now. I, I progressed in the fire service. I was first, uh, they call it a, a watch manager. So you're responsible for the whole crew in Antwerp. And then afterwards, I became an area manager, which means I was responsible for one third of, of Antwerp for all the fire um, uh, service uh, in, in Antwerp, this part of Antwerp. And now I'm a, a director of operations, which means I'm responsible for all our operations and uh, everything we do on the field and how, how we prepare for it. Amazing. Amazing. And what got you interested in thinking about sort of this this new view stuff, this high reliability, this 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 sort of different approach to understanding crisis management and and safety and reliability and all those things? Yeah, for me, it started with 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 the insight or the the maybe more with the question. Um, I was wondering 
we are doing a lot of exercises and drills and big crisis exercises. And every time, every time afterwards, we say the communication was, was a problem. And it's always about communication. And I was thinking, I'm now hearing this for 15 years. Um, communication is, is going bad. Communication was not, was not okay. And I talked to my dad about it and he said, Oh, this was, it was like that in my, in my early <laughs> years. It's never have, never has been different. It's always communication. And I started to work on this concept of communication. And the first thing I saw is that it's really like container. Um, this communication message, it, it, it can be real communication. Like you haven't been following social media and you haven't been communicating on social media, but it always also can be uh, information management. You don't manage your information very well. And then it also can be um, leadership. You don't translate your message very well and you don't succeed in uh, telling your people what you want to do in this crisis. So everything was communication. And the first insight I got was if we uh, keep calling it communication uh, and the communication didn't go well and so on, then we are never going to... Uh, uh, we're never going to be able to solve the problem because it's we don't define the problem very well. And so I started working on this. And my first uh, focus was information management. And I said, okay, if we manage the information well, then, then uh, we can manage the crisis better. And then my second focus was leadership. And, you know, um, the first reaction you have when you want to deal with a crisis, you learn this in these old uh, management books, is, you have to manage very hierarchically and uh, it has to be like a machine, a very uh, very authoritarian leader, somebody who's a very strong leader. And I started to read about this and I, I got to know this whole other concept of, of crisis leadership and dealing with risks and so on. And it's more about, um, uh, more about the process and about, um, about, uh, guiding a team through a very complex situation. And you don't do this in a very harsh, hierarchical way, uh, the classic way. And that's really what got me into reading about um, about these things and about uh, high reliability and so on, because I think we can translate a lot of the knowledge to crisis management. And the fact that you get to actually practice these things in real life, right? So you would... You would look at these theories and understand these ideas and then have the opportunity to go out in real time and, and practice them, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, part of my job. I'm uh, uh, one of the people who is a um, um, crisis manager, manager for Antwerp. Part of my job is being crisis manager for the fire service. So if there is a crisis, um, we go out. It can be from a, a very large fire with different houses involved and so on up to like half the city burning, it's all in my um, in my area. Um, but I'm also the, the the main replacer for the uh, Antwerp crisis manager. So the the uh, the person who's responsible for uh, crisis management management in the whole of Antwerp for all the services and for the city. Right. Um, so that got that got me into a lot of crises and and, and being involved in a lot of crises and then. On the one hand, as the person in charge, and on the other hand, as an observer, um, I'm, I'm very close to every crisis that happens in our region, and so um, I got to see a lot of things that work and a lot of things that don't work. Uh, and I'm also 
very critical about my own work. So I also saw what sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't go good. So what are the, the factors that explain um, why it goes wrong, why it doesn't go wrong? And um, so by by doing a lot of crises, you, you learn a lot about them and you see that, that these classical theories, they're not really the solution for the problems we already have for 40, 50 years. If you had sort of one thing, so, so let's imagine, so a whole bunch of people would be listening to this bird, like pilots and, mm-hmm. and doctors and nurses and safety people and crisis people and firefighters and a whole bunch of people listen. If you had one sort of hint to tell them, one way to sort of start approaching their work by appreciating this notion of complexity and the fact that hierarchical linear systems aren't oftentimes the right way to move through crisis. What would you tell them? Kind of a hard question. Sorry. Yeah, it is a hard question um, because it depends on whether you're talking about leadership, whether you're talking about the crisis in a, in a whole as a whole, but as a leader, I think in leadership, the first thing you have to, to, um, question yourself is what is the team I'm leading? And in most cases in a crisis, you will see that the team consists of experts. Um, you will have a team of experts and you have to treat them like experts. And in, um, in my presentation in Amsterdam, I try to show this by uh, using the example of conductors. Um, and you have different types of conductors. And so conductors very typically, they also work with a group of experts all these top musicians with their violins and their pianos and so on. I can't play music, but I'm very impressed about what they do with the instrument. And so this, this conductor, um, he can, he can really, um, act as a, as a classical leader and, and really say, okay, I'm going to control the orchestra and, and, uh, uh, tell them what to do. Um, uh, and on the other hand, he can be like this type of leader that sets, creates, a, a, a sort of world for the, uh, for the orchestra to play in and cre- create a, uh, shape the boundaries and really like, where do I, do I want you to play and then play and do your thing, do as an expert what you're best in. And so both are possible, but the thing is what you see is that in, um, in this really, uh, extremely good and, and high performing, um, uh, orchestras, the leader that is really like the classical leader, very hierarchical, and that, that tells the orchestra what to do, is not accepted by the orchestra. Right, right. The other leader, he's able to really get the best out of the people. Um, and that's very important if you're in a team, because you're always in a team and you're dealing with a crisis or dealing with complex situations. You never do that alone. Uh, look at your team and question yourself, is the team a team of experts? Maybe they're not as good as you are yourself, but you have to lead them and you have to work together with them. And if they're experts, treat them as experts and really lead them that way and not tell them what to do, but set the scene, control the process, but don't control the people. Your presentation in, in Amsterdam was, a, it was stunning. I mean, it was really impressive. I want the whole world to see that presentation. It's on SlideShare, by the way. Is it So you can find it, is it on the web? I mean, could you find it? Yeah, it's on SlideShare, absolutely. Really? Okay. Well, I'm going to I'm going to push everybody out to to find it. I, one of the things I found so interesting 
was using the orchestra as a, a, a almost a metaphor for how um, highly reliable teams function in critical situations was beautiful. I also like the fact that you <laughs> used the leadership, the director, the conductor, as really a, a guide. I thought that that metaphor worked perfectly. And I was last week I was talking to a bunch of doctors who actually were using the same idea of an orchestra. They weren't talking as much about the conductor, but they were talking about the orchestra as as expert members of the orchestra and the ability to expand the orchestra as the music requires or reduce the orchestra as the music requires. And really, I think that's kind of a perfect way to think of a crisis is that the the leader the 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 incident management team are more conductors the responders are more members of the orchestra mm-hmm. and we build the orchestra's capacity based upon what the song requires and then the song would be sort of the crisis yeah that's a great way to look at it but i have to tell you bert it's a very different way to look at crisis what led you to use a, 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 a harmonious model, a, a musical model to understand really quite critical and horrific things that are happening in the work you do. Yeah, actually, the first reason is because I really like the music, which is <laughs> which is totally a good reason. So that's that's fine. And and I always think you you find models or examples or uh, uh, ways to to explain things in in areas that you really like. So that probably. Probably there are other ways to explain the same thing uh, with with another example. So that is maybe the the first reason. But second reason is because I think uh, dealing with a with a crisis and dealing with it in a very good way is a, a form of art. And you know, the the, the thing about an artist um, is that he uh, he knows the techniques. Even a, a modern artist who makes something that you think I can do the same, but I didn't think about it. Um, but he, he knows how to control the techniques. He knows every detail of the techniques. He's, he's a master in it. On the other hand, he knows how to uh, set himself above the techniques and do things with it that we as ordinary people don't think about. And I think becoming a master in crisis management, and I really mean somebody who's very good at crisis management, is a bit like that. You have to know the basic techniques. You have to know how to do everything. You, know, have, to, you have to know the book and know how to do it by the book. And then you have to know when the situation requires you to leave the book behind and do it in an intuitive way and do it in a way that you think is the best way together with your team. And, I, and I That's hear you, probably it, the reason why I, I use the metaphor of the orchestra. orchestra, orchestra sorry. It's such a great and, – and I hear what you're saying, that you have to have the technical basis – in order to really move to the improvisational basis. I get that. But what I think is remarkable about what you've done, and, and you just said it, is you've taken what I think has traditionally been considered a technical skill, incident command, crisis yeah. management. That's a, te- that's a technical skill. There is a book, and we follow the book. We do it by the book. Yeah. And you've actually introduced into the conversation in a big way, a very successful way, oh. the fact that it's much more artistic and the nuances are based really upon what the crisis demands, um, how the music is written for you, I guess. Because the conductor doesn't normally write the music. The conductor deals with the music that he has, but he does it in yeah. a way that finesses it and makes it impressive. That's that's crazy cool. <laughs> 
You know Thank that's you. why that's why it's the best podcast ever. You are the okay. best. You're you're probably <laughs> going to win a prize. And so far, nothing in Antwerp has blown up, so we're still talking. I feel we're like that's a, that's a good thing, isn't it? Absolutely. I think there there is a main there is a very important difference between the the orchestra and crisis management. And I also talked about this in my in my presentation. It's the fact that uh, I say you have to make Pareto your best strength, and Pareto is the one who said you can have eighty percent of the results with twenty percent of the effort. I think uh, members of an orchestra will not agree with me if they, they are going to for the 100% results and they will train and practice a lot for that. During, during a crisis, I think we have to be able to uh, be happy with 20% of the results with, and do only 20% of the effort so we can do a lot more and get 80% of the results. So that, that's something I think as a crisis manager, perfection is your, uh, is your enemy. Um, you have to try to do your job as good as possible of course you have to try to you have to try to be perfect in your job as a whole but you have to be able to do some parts of your job only for 80% perfect in order to reach the best result um it's like with triage uh, if, a, if a doctor goes to a disaster and there are a lot of victims he doesn't want to save everybody he wants to save as many people as possible and that means sometimes leaving one behind and saying, okay, I'm not going to save you, but I'm going to save 10 others because I don't spend my time saving you. So that, that, those are difficult decisions. Um, and that's maybe the main difference between the two met between this metaphor and crisis management. Yeah. And I hear you on that one. So, so what are you thinking? What's ahead? What's in the future? Where's your thinking leading you now? Uh, I think in, in, um, in crisis management, I think um, dealing with this new concept of crisis leadership, and there are some people writing about it, and there are a lot of people inspiring me on this, um, it's really one of the ways to go. I think another way is, um, uh, and that has to do with information management, I think we have to learn from um, our intelligence services and try to use information more in an intelligence, intelligence way. Uh, I call it crisis intelligence. Um, and I, I think we really have to use the techniques that are that, that the, the intelligent intelligence agencies are using uh, in crisis management and try to get as much out of the information with as little effort as possible, and uh, really use the information um, to help us uh, uh, work through the crisis. And um, maybe you can you can say it like that: if you're using crisis intelligence, you're deciding on what information. Um, or I'm going to say it another way, crisis intelligence mean, means you're um, using the information you wanted to have after the crisis. And most of the times after the crisis, you look back and say, if only I knew this. Right. In crisis intelligence, you try to get the information before you need it and not after uh, afterwards. So that's, that's really important uh, evolution, I think. Have you seen that change? I mean, that must be changing in your world. You must get information just the the way technology's changed you must get stuff much earlier and it must be it must be a a new problem in crisis management to manage and triage all this information you're getting all the time to determine what's important how do you recognize what's important um it it, it is a, a completely new challenge um mainly information from social media it's all going so fast nowadays uh, and, and you have to use the information. Um, it's just, uh, 
way of doing your job in a very good way is using information from all the sources you can get and, and social media is one of them. But to get the information out of social media, for example, and to, to find your way in this whole ocean of, of data, really it's a very difficult thing. And uh, nowadays, I think people that are doing this very well uh, will tell you they do it with a gut feeling and they feel what information is, is right and what information isn't uh, useful. I think when we're only at this stage of, of some experts know in their gut feeling what is good information and we're really not at the point where we can say, okay, we have automatic systems that get right information out for us and we know how to teach this to people. It's very difficult. Um, it's, it's very difficult to set up an, 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 a course on how to deal with crisis information. Well, I think it would be incredibly difficult to have a course on uh, what gut feeling matters more than the next gut feeling. Yeah. And yet I appreciate that the gut feeling is probably a super powerful and probably mostly super accurate indicator the problem is is how do you proceduralize gut feeling how do you how do you write yeah. that into your station orders yeah that's, that's, that's extremely difficult but we we know very well that that uh, making decisions in a in in very complex and, and urgent situations is a lot about about gut feeling and it's a lot about but there's a lot there's a lot of science behind that it's not wrong it's not um it's not a bad way of of making decisions um, but you have to train in a certain way and you have to take your time and there are no quick sol solutions. So, for example, if you want to train an, um, an, uh, a fire captain on how to make better decisions, then, then it, there's no quick solution. There's not, not a course you can send him to. You can do a, you can do a lot to improve his decision making, but not one specific thing on a very short time and so on and so on. So it's it's really a very difficult exercise. And the same goes for people who are dealing with crisis and with crisis um, information. Um, I think there, there are no uh, quick fixes and, and you have to take your time, practice a lot, practice in a very good way. Um, for example, uh, make sure that your exercises give you a very quick and valid feedback. Uh, do a lot of after-action reviews. Those kind of things you can do, but that's not a quick solution. Right. How important is that after action? How important is post-job, post-crisis learning? Uh, I think it's it's extremely important. Um, after action learning, and, and mainly in our area, the very quick and, and uh, immediate uh, feedback um, uh, is, is extremely important for your learning process. Um, and I, we use uh, an after action review um, uh, we got from or, or the, with the technique we got from the, the U.S. Army. Um, so we try to do it like they do it, and that gives you very, very quick feedback. But the disadvantage is that to create an, like an, 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 a safe environment to learn, you can't let a lot of information go out of the team. So you can't say, okay, we're going to make a presentation afterwards about this after-action review and then uh, explain what we did wrong. To create a safe learning environment, you have to, uh, guaranteed to the team that, that everything stays inside of the team unless they decide that they want to uh, tell it to the rest of the world. And so that's the difficulty with after-action reviews that they don't create like this, this structural uh, organizational learning. Um, on the other hand, if everybody does it and everybody does it every time, then you create a new type of learning. Uh, it's more like an individual or team learning and it doesn't spread to the other teams. But after after a time and 
if everybody does the same, then you get you get a learning process in your organization, and I think that's important. Uh, but the, the difficulty is that, or the problem is that you don't, um, if you learn a lesson and, and the team decides they don't want to share it with other teams, then the other team can make the same mistake. So that's, that's still difficult to, to deal with. And I think that's a really interesting <clears throat> challenge for us at a bunch of levels. Man, this has been great, Bert. You've been amazing. Did we miss anything? Should I have asked you anything? Um, yeah. The last thing maybe I want to say is, is never waste a good crisis. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it connected to the last part we talked about, but um, you can only learn how to become a good crisis leader um, by learning a lot from every incident you get and trying to be very introspective and what did I do? What did my team do? How did this go? And even if the result is bad, maybe your work was good. And, and the other way around. So be very critical to, about yourself, but also um, celebrate if you did, did good. So uh, never waste a good crisis. That's maybe an, a good message to end this podcast. That's a perfect message. Man, I can't even thank you. I knew you'd be I, – I was so excited. Yeah, I, I was just blown away by your presentation. I knew you'd be great on this podcast. Um, can people contact you? Are you open for conversations? Of course. No problem. Excellent. Absolutely. I guess in your uh, in your information about this podcast, you can you can put my contact data. No problem. Okay, I'll be glad to do that, and I think that that'd be a great thing for people to have. I I just you're you're my new friend in crisis management. I was just blown away by uh, just everything about you was just amazing, and it was a great podcast. Thank you, and it wasn't very painful, was it? No, absolutely not. Absolutely. And by the way, Todd, I was also very impressed by your presentation. So. Um, I really liked it in Amsterdam. It was a very good day for me. It was. I agree. I, I had a – it was a really good day. I really learned a lot and it was – And also the presentation by Sydney and he, he also also has been on a podcast with you. It was really great. So uh, it was a very good day. Uh, I learned a lot and I was very happy to, to be there and speak to you guys. Ah, the pleasure was ours. It was mutual, I guess. That's perfect. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Now Thank go you. and see if there's something bad happening in the museum. But let's hope there's not. I'm okay. I'm hoping that it's going to be a big old nothing. It was, somebody left a bag somewhere, and there you go. It will be okay. Okay. Thank you, my friend. Well, see you later. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. There you go, my friends. That is the pre-accident podcast. That's the interview with Bert. Isn't he, isn't that amazing? <laughs> I just I don't even know what to say other than wasn't that stunning? Wasn't that super interesting? Uh, it's just it's it's very very interesting what Bert has to talk about and the way he looks at this idea of of a conductor and the conductor's culture that he creates for the orchestra and how you can boss people around or you can sort of entice them into working together, I think fits for a leadership model for sure. It certainly makes sense for a metaphor for crisis management, but I also think it has a lot to do with the way we look at the new view of safety and high reliability. Because what we do is we create um, a group of people to perform the music, and as the music requires more instruments, we bring more instruments in. So we're constantly conducting an orchestra that is getting larger and smaller, uh, depending on resources and need and time and production, all those things are really important. If you want to contact Bert, I'll give you his email. His email is Bert. Um, 
Bert at uh, let me see let me think through this one really quickly. Oh, and it's Bert B E R T. So Bert B E R T at Brueggemann's, and that's spelled B R U G G H E M A N S dot com. And he said he's wide open if you want to talk to him and, and send him some love. Tell him how much you appreciated this podcast. It's been fun. This has been a great one, actually. Thanks for your time. Keep listening. It means so much. Subscribe, tell your friends, and rate us, if you would, on iTunes. They tell me that would make a huge difference. I don't know why. I don't really get any of this stuff, but they tell me it does. And I have lots to say about that stuff. Until then, my friends, I want to thank you and remind you, you should learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can, and for goodness sakes, be safe.